This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So at The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey. That's Jake, that's Ryan, that's Matt. Guys, we are digging into Nehemiah 8 today, and so I think I really enjoyed what we talked about last week with Nehemiah 7 because it's like, okay... There are certain books of the Bible where it seems like, oh, this is just chock full of stuff and there's so many things and you can just camp out there and there's others that you feel like you can skip and you shouldn't skip because there's an entire narrative of Nehemiah. But as we pointed out, I think last week, there's an entire narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah because those books used to be combined. And so we see at the very beginning of verse eight, this is the first appearance of Ezra, uh, the man of God in the book of Nehemiah. But again, he his story started in the book of Ezra. So that's very, very important. But when we get into the first part of this this chapter, especially the first five verses, we see that these people are coming together early in the morning and they are worshiping and hearing the word read over them until midday. Most of the commentaries I read put this at between five and six hours. So we live in this moment where if you go to a church where if the service lasts longer than an hour or if, you know, somebody gets visited by the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you're going to be late to church's chicken, it becomes like a major issue for your day. And we have at this time, it was just old hat. It was just normal for them to have the word read over them for uh, two to three hours and then to worship for two to three hours. And we just, we don't live in in that time or place now. And then we also don't have a, a reverence for that either. In verse five, you know, as the book was being read, as the word was being read, all the people stood and they stood the entire time. And I know that, you know, Jake, you have a Catholic background, so it's up, down, up, down, up, down. But then there are certain churches where like if they're, if the worship set's going long, they will take a break and let everybody sit down. They'll be like, all right, everybody sit down. But out of reverence for the word, these people stood for hours and hours at a time. And I was just struck, uh, just to kick off the discussion here at the beginning, I was just struck by how different they worship than how we do today. And we could probably talk about the difference between our worship and how emotion-based it is versus the reverency that you're talking about. I mean, they viewed, they viewed the book of the law of Moses as the word of God. Like, that was, that was it. It was the word of God. So, yeah, they, they had reverence for it. And I think sometimes so often, <clears throat> excuse me, we are driven by what feels good and as a church, we judge our success by butts and seats. And when there aren't butts and seats, we go back to the drawing board and we go back to the customer is always right. And I, I recently watched a guy talk about this and I, I can't remember his name, so I apologize. He said, we're half right. We've got it half right, but all wrong. The customer is always right. Who's the customer? Customer and consumer of our worship is our Holy Father. It's not man. It's not the people in the seats. So a church with five people reverently worshiping and reading the word and preaching the gospel is more powerful than a church with 10,000 people who only go surface level. And that's one of the things that I took out of this was you know, your church doesn't have to be big, but worship the way God tells us to worship. And he does tell us how to worship. Church isn't about you. It's about God. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing here is like they're 
this is about God right now. This is about what God did for them and how God provided a wall in Jerusalem and provided the men to do it. And so the worship service is, you know, what brings us back to the holiness of who God is, and that's God's law. God's law is holy. That's where we measure ourselves up, that we know we'll never be able to attain that beautifulness as Christ did. And that's why he was the ultimate sacrifice. But when it comes to church, you know, it's just, it's about God. We have to remember that, you know, worship may not be my favorite thing uh, within my church, but I don't go to church because I like the worship music. I don't go to church because I like a 15, 20 minute sermon. I go to church because that's the reverent thing to do. And that's what's going to bring me closer to God and knowing the conviction of what I, I need a savior. I mean, so I think we start looking at church that way and not looking at church over ourselves. That I th- might be a different I meaning. think there's some truth to that, but I think at the same time, there's a call to the modern church and specifically the church in America to not cater to what people want. And the songs that we sing are very indicative of our theology. I think I said this to you guys in a text the other day. We People often sing their heresies before they believe them. And if you're not singing worship songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that are based in biblical theology, that are speaking gospel truths and speaking scripture, you're in danger. I'm not saying this happens all the time, but you're in danger of that becoming your theology because that gives you an emotional high. And man, worship, worship music just was so amazing. And you don't, you don't even hear my sermon. My favorite pastor, Andy Swart, uh, was under his tutelage for like two years. Said at the end of the day on Monday, they're not whistling my sermon. Mm. You know, we're and at the end of the day on Monday, we're not going back to the sermon. We're that music is still in our heads. That you know, we're whistling that that song that probably played a role in in bringing us to 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 God. And hopefully, that song that's bringing us is is to God is not emotionalism. It's not you know, Jesus is my boyfriend. Something you know. Which is why they sang the Psalms. Calvin called the Psalms the anatomy of the soul. And the Psalms were also the beautifulness of God as well, you know? So it's his attributes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't do it this time, guys. So I think it's important as well. And so the the ghost fifth member of every forging table, Joby Martin, uh, who just kind of of hovers (laughs) over our conversation. (laughs) Sorry, Um, Joby. I remember him talking, he and I were talking when when he he and I first became friends about just worship music and like, okay, are the songs from like Hillsong and Bethel and Elevation, like, are these redeemable because of what those, you know, are the precursor to these sermons that are theologically bankrupt and, you know, abiblical and all that. And he said before, he's like, I've had our band change the songs because it's like, y'all aren't going to sing stuff that's not true. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, as I, far as I understand it, they create original music, but then they also, you know, will sing other people's music. And like, that's the thing that's important. It's like, yeah, we will just change lyrics to songs. It's like, we're, we're not going to sing that. And I even heard Alistair Begg, I think second Alistair Begg mentioned in the last couple of weeks, but Alistair Begg uh, was asked during a Q&A at a recent, you know, preacher's conference or or, a pastor's conference or something like that about like, Hey, should our congregations, this is another pastor asking him during the Q and a, should our congregations sing songs from these places because of, you know, is it, is it fruit of the poisonous tree to where it's like, yeah, it's a nice song and it's, it's easy, it's catchy. And you know, our, our band likes it, but should we sing it? And his, his perspective, if I can remember to summarize it correctly was, some of those songs like in and of themselves are not to be sung because there's nothing redeemable in them. Mm -hmm. 
but then not every single one of the songs that are produced by those groups are in and of themselves unredeemable. Yeah. And so it's like that, that doesn't, that means that they can be sung as it is. There's some that means that they can be sung with, with alterations or changes. But I think that that that's important, but you, go ahead, Ryan. You bring up a great point in like worship music. So like elevation worship, I almost feel like they're more theologically correct in their songs than most of Furtick's sermons. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, do I take away elevation worship because of Furtick's sermons? And I don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out the good ones. I'm going to pull out the bad ones. And I think that's where we find what is redeemable and unredeemable because there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of elevation that's biblical. And we can't just take that away because Furtick, you know, it doesn't toe the line. To quote Matt and I's Sunday school teacher. The Terry one Fakes. and only Terry Fakes, Terry who Fakes, is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, That's you know, F-E-I-X for yeah. anyone paying attention. He's got yes. a great podcast as well. Terry Fakes. Yeah. Uh, he always talks about with the, with the Bible, with the word. He said, let it be what it, what it means. Let the Bible be what it wants to be. Let the Bible yeah. be what it wants to be. I think you can apply it to worship music too. 100%. You can apply it to worship music too. Uh, let it be what it wants to be. And I think, but I mean. Wait a minute. I, I don't quite understand. Sure, sure. So. I think there's a lot of, you know, when you're talking about um, some of the bands that are preparing music for some of these pastors who are not theologically sound, you know, there may be truth in them there, you know, it may be okay. You're singing these songs. And I think a lot of times, at least in my opinion, I think a lot of times it's okay. Maybe if you're somebody who's starting out and you're hearing this music and maybe there's some things that aren't necessarily true in them where's your heart in it in that worship where is your heart i mean are you are you singing it because it's a catchy song but <coughs> is it also something that well maybe i actually you know maybe it's just like i'm dipping my toe in the water here i'm trying this is my first effort and you know because i think sometimes as you start digging deeper into the word and you gain more knowledge you start realizing that oh man i'm singing some stuff this is boyfriend god this is atm god I don't need these. I, that's not the God I worship. But in the beginning, you may not have that level of discernment. And I mean, I guess I would say, offer yourself a little bit of grace if you are listening to some of these worship songs, because you may not know it yet. But it, that's also, again, what we've talked about in previous weeks. You're going to have to do a lot of hard work after you yeah. have your heart change. When doctrine is important. Yeah. Like you can't have right feelings about God unless you have right thoughts about God, unless you have truth about God. And I think everyone at this table would be a defender of capital T truth. Like we, you know, we live in this postmodern moment, but um, within this discussion that we're having here, um, you know, Brian, you're saying, you know, church is not about us. Right. And so that's, I think we would all agree. Hey, church is not about us, but I think the church acting in the way that it does specifically the seeker sensitive movement, where we are going to coalesce all of our resources around this ideal non-Christian that we want to attract here, it leads to the church is almost like taught us that, Hey, the Bible's about us too, because if church is about you, then what about the Bible? And that's the thing. Whenever you see people, you know, going back to whenever Matt Chandler almost burned down Stephen Furtick's church, like 10, 15 years ago, when, you know, Stephen Furtick invited him to be a, uh, a guest preacher and, or it was at a conference or something like that. And Matt Chandler basically screamed at the Elevation Congregation and said, you are not David. When you read the story of David and Goliath, you are not David. Your struggles at work are not Goliath. Like that, that's not the, the word, the, the Bible is not about you. 
And Stephen Furtick's literally sitting on stage, like melting, like yeah. the the entire time this is happening. Because like, he literally preached a sermon yeah. about yeah. that probably a few weeks ago. <laughs> right. And so, so you guys should definitely check that out on YouTube the, if you haven't gotten uh, there. But that's that's the thing is I feel like the church is teaching us. Church is about you. The Bible's about you. God is about you. And like categorically, it's like I think we we forget where we should be in that continuum. The church I went to before I. Uh, went to or the church that we're going to now. I mean, their slogan now is God is for you. And so are we, you know, great slogans, really nice. Listen to a sermon where the, the pastor talks about reading the Bible. He's like, where are you, where, you know, when I read the Bible, I want to see where am I, where, where am I at in this story? I'm like, that's the worst thing to tell anybody on how to read the Bible. Where am I at in this story? No, what's going on in this story? What's the context of the story? What can I pull from this story to learn? Not, Oh man, I'm David. My troubles are Goliath, you know, and it's just the pragmatism of church is we have this pragmatic approach that if we make everybody feel warm and fuzzy, like, like for some reason, like Christ needs like a new marketing agent and these guys think they're the best, you know, and it's like, no, God's going to market himself. He doesn't need you. I think there's nothing inherently wrong with looking at how that plays out in your life. But I think you have to make an honest assessment because if you think you're David, you're looking at the Bible incorrectly. More realistically, you're one of the people in God's army who refuses to go fight Goliath or you're a Pharisee or you're not the good guy in the story and you're the one that needs salvation. And so I can find myself in the Bible all over the place. You know where I see myself? But like, it's, it's the sinner. In comparison to David, I see myself as the adulterer, you know, the sinner. I don't see myself as the hero. I think the other problem when you actually start trying to pull these stories out and apply them to your own life, it's like, well, I'm David and this is Goliath. I want think about who you're putting in that other seat because it's probably a person. Yeah. There's probably a gr- or a group of people. And in the grand scheme of things, they're God's children too. You're putting them, I mean, you're putting them in a seat of judgment, not in a seat of mercy by trying to say that, well, I'm David in this fight and you're Goliath or I'm Joseph and you are my brothers. There's not, you know, you just, you're putting people in a seat that God does not want them in either. Yeah. Also, Goliath is is sin and you can't overcome your sin. That's right. I do have a little bit of pushback though. We're not all God's children. We're all his creation. We're all his creation. But we're not his children. Not all of us are his children. We, we have to remember that. You know, that's what brings us into the holiness of who God, God is. That's what brings us into the Lamb's Book of Life. But looking at Nehemiah, you know, when I read this, I'm not looking at this as, oh, I'm Nehemiah, man. Look how I'm leading people at work. You know, I'm looking at this as like, man, I need God. I need God to take control in certain situations because I can't do this on my own. For sure. Do you feel... I don't, I, this just popped in mind when you said that when people are like, Oh, the, the scripture should be like a mirror for you. I don't know if the scriptures are necessarily a mirror or if they're a poster. And so like, I'm not holding up the book of my Nehemiah as a mirror for me to see how much of my reflection I can see. Mm-hmm. I would look at Nehemiah as a poster on the wall with all the good and bad of what this story is and how it relates to the overall arc and narrative of the Bible itself and the story of the gospel. And so, because if, if you think of scripture as a mirror, you're constantly looking for yourself in the, in the words of scripture. And the thing that's odd about that is we do that 
with modern entertainment. So if you're reading, you know, the latest Stephen Pressfield novel, um, you're putting yourself into the main character's shoes when you're watching, you know, John Wick four and you're like trying to figure out like, okay, you know, where, where would I fit in? Or like, what would I do? Like we, we constantly do that. We want to see ourselves reflected in the entertainment that we're taking in. And then we compare ourselves to Mm -hmm. this, this hero or this courageous person or this beautiful person or whatever. But for me, it's like, I feel what helps me is to not think of the scripture as a mirror, but as like, as you know, just like literally like it's, it's not the movie, it's the movie poster. It's something that I should look to. I see what you're saying there. Like, you know, I look at it as as a guide. It's a guide, you know, on, on how I need to live my life based upon what's happened to people throughout this thing. I am not those people, but I can learn from their goodness, the good things that they did. And I can learn from their mistakes. I mean, it's just like parenting. My parents did great things. My parents also did things that I want to change. And so when I read the Bible and I read what the Israelites did, I look at the good things like what we're going to go into here of standing and reading the word and God's law. That's something that I need to probably do more of. Uh, When it comes back to them breaking the covenant, you know, hundreds of years beforehand, that's something I need. Oh man, where am I doing that? You know, what am I doing in my walk? So, and usually with you, that could lead into legalism. To a point, if you're thinking you're breaking a covenant, I don't ever look at like, oh, where am I breaking my salvation or my covenant? It's like, no, where do I need to let my pride down? Where do I need to put more trust in, in God? Where do I need to change in my certain walk and walk away from my flesh? I think it's encouraging to look at the heroes of the faith or the people that God uses. They're all crooked pencils that God's yeah. using to make straight lines. and if there's not encouragement in that for you, I would, I would suggest to go read that again because all of these, outside of Christ, all of these people in here are sinful, depraved people that God uses for his glory. If you don't think that God's going to use you for his glory, even though you are also a sinful, depraved being, I, I would encourage you to, to rethink that because. God's, God's going to use you. God used Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. When I think, I mean, look at verse eight. So they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. I think this is important as well. So if you're not an expository preacher and you're trying to build out your four week life lesson and then back end scripture into it, um, are you going to be teaching the scripture clearly? where people can understand it, they're going to understand your lesson, but they're not going to be understanding scripture. The same could be said for the person that goes all the way to the other extreme where they're so smart and they know they're smart and they know they can string together a bunch of words that make them sound even smarter. And they also know that dumber people like to like smarter people so that they themselves can feel a little smart. Like they know it's smart. It's like people that like certain bands or certain movies that are just dog crap but like all the all the people that are like the high and mighty people are like oh no this is a fantastic film and they're like oh i i like that too and it's like no no it's a, it's a crappy movie you're just saying you like it because all the critics said that they the whale like it. was horrible it <clears throat> but, was the worst movie i ever watched okay well we can get into that <laughs> later but <clears throat> but like I, I think that's part of the thing too like there's how can you clearly present the the bible and the scripture unless you're doing it expositorily unless you're 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 exegeting as opposed to eisegeting that's, that's what would make sense to me. Yeah. 
Great point, Kyle. You did yeah, a great no. job. Let's I'm just still move. thinking about no, how bad no, the let's whale just was. Right no, 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 no. I, I, I want to I I hang. I want to hang out here for a bit because if you're not doing that and you don't like, you don't know what the word says and you don't know God's truth, like you can get to a place where you just don't know that worship song is not grounded in scriptural truth because you don't know. And if you, if you're you're singing these songs or you're doing these things that a pastor says is okay and you're not lining that up with scripture you're not just doing your own yourself harm you could be harming your children your wife people around you that you're ministering to can become the victim of that bad theology that theology kills people so i do want to say this i feel like we're being a little rough on church. Okay. I mean, sure. I mean, you're, 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 you know, nobody's going to bat a thousand on this stuff. I mean, they're just not, you know, and I know like, you know, Matt and I've had discussions about like, well, this sermon, how do we feel about that at our church? You know, positive, negative, you know, what was the purpose of that? It's not real convicting. Um, is it a welcome mat to the church? How are we handling this? I think when you go back to Nehemiah here, uh, going through those first six verses, you have a whole community who gathered to hear it. Okay. So there's a church. There's a church. There's a church. Uh, they anticipated the reading with a great sense of reverent expectancy. Okay. They, they were there to hear the word. They wanted it. They craved it. They desired it. And they listened attentively throughout a lengthy exposition, five hours, seven hours, whatever that might be. How often are we, I mean, most people, like people who are strong Christians, we go to church. And we're checking our watch just like everybody else who just started coming there on Sunday. We, we're ready to get out of there in an hour. You know, what I actually look at this is, you know, I, I always, for me, it was not until I started trying to plug in with other people in my same phase of life. It was not until I tried to start doing that and connecting with people that I started craving more of the word. Um, and I'm going to go, I'm going to read a verse from Psalm here. Psalm 133, one, three, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion for there. The Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Unity is so important. Being around fellow believers is so important. Nehemiah just built the wall and now they're having a church with a group of people who are learning the word for further protection. They gathered as one man. So that's clearly it. there's unity there. And that's, I think where it comes down for churches is, you know, we, we've got to find a way to better disciple our people. I mean, that's what they're doing right now. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. How are we going to, how is somebody who's a new Christian <clears throat> for those pragmatic seeker sensitive churches, how are they a new Christian and you're not going to disciple them in the word? And so I think that's something that we have to look at. Numbers are great, you know, but in those numbers, are we feeding those seeds? I mean, are you just going to be the seed scatterer that's just going to scatter seeds and just hope that they pop up, you know, but are you going to actually tend to the garden? And so that's where I just feel like, you know, churches with this pragmatic approach 
could take a bigger step in discipling their people. And it also takes like, um, what you said, you know, it takes, it takes, you've got to get yourself plugged in. You know, if the, if it's there and the church has set it up for you, like we have our adult Bible study fellowships and it's there, go do it. Go get with people who are like-minded with you going through the same type of life that you are and, and dive into the word together, dive into anything that you guys can there. That's going to, that's going to lead you to a path of discipleship. And so I think that's what we need to get at. And some encouragement on the Bible study front. I do think it's important finding a group of, you know, talking to men today, find a group of men that you, you know, and have a relationship with because real, like real conversation can come out of those, those Bible studies. I mean, real frank, vulnerable talk going in and just joining one where you don't know anybody, you're not going to feel comfortable. So it's important to actually go in and say, I'm going to join this Bible study because I know these three guys and I know them well and I have a relationship. When I turned around and decided this, I'm going to start walking with Jesus again, I tried to go to a Bible study with five random guys, did not know them from Adam, and I went once and then I bailed. Uh, I'm going to do the plug for you, Kyle. <clears throat> go back and listen to Kyle's Foxhole episode. <laughs> Talks a lot about that. We, 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 the talk comes from doing with each other mm-hmm. and guys, Guys relate to each other doing things shoulder to shoulder. Women relate to each other doing things face to face. The face to face comes, but it's after the shoulder to shoulder. So what you're talking about is literally what Kyle's mission is on this earth is to help guys understand and to get into those types of relationships to say, okay, let's do something together. And then from that, we can now discuss these things, which is really the forging table is about is guys who know each other that can dig into the word together on that. Excuse me. That's what, um, that's why I think the, the modern men's ministry, I think the model is broken. The modern men's ministry, because it's the exact thing that you said, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Everyone give me your throat lozenges. It's getting bad. Um, I already gave you mine. I remember being a part of this organization and I asked him, this was a men's ministry I helped start way back in the day. And I asked him, you know, what's, what's the number one goal of all the goals? What's the number one goal for what we're doing here? And they said to get guys into small groups. I was like, that's it. <clears throat> now you could say, you know, to spread the gospel, make Christians, but like the main goal of this ministry was that, um, and I just remember being like, so a stranger walks in and there's a group of five guys over there and you just say, here, grab your Bible and go sit down and start, start talking, open up your heart. And again, that's, I saw how men are wired. Men will connect eye to ball to eyeball after they've done something shoulder to shoulder. And that thing needs to be difficult typically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but again, we don't, we don't really think in those terms. And it's just because, you know, the overall ideal is broken. And so people are trying to reinvent an ideal that already sucks. And it's like, no, 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 you, you need to start with a new ideal. That's why when I talk to people that are pastors at churches and they're concerned about their church's men's ministry or creating a good men's ministry, I said, no, that's the wrong question. The question is, is, is our church man friendly? That's the question. Because if your church isn't man friendly, it doesn't matter what your men's ministry is. So y'all's church that y'all go to, I remember 
years ago, they did something called Beast Feast, and I think they still did it. And it's it's there once a year. Let's let's get together. Let's eat meat, and let's have a guest speaker, and then we'll call it good. And the person who was in charge of Beast Feast or men's ministry, he was in charge of seventeen other things at the church, and men's ministry was at the very end. And it's like shock of all shocks, y'all don't have a very vibrant men's ministry. And it's like we need to focus on the church being man friendly from top to bottom. That starts with the senior pastors modeling and how he teaches. And then it goes into the music and the, the, the words that are being sung and the key that they're being sung in. And then it's like, if you focus on that, you're not, you're not going to have to worry about having enough men volunteers. You're going to have to worry about what are we going to do with all these volunteers? It's interesting. I, I think that's a great point that you bring up because I do think that sometimes, yes, churches struggle with being friendly towards men. I mean, because overall, I mean, society is not really friendly towards men right now. You know, it's just not cool to talk positively about men. Uh, and so for, I know for our church, I mean, and I think this is where I would actually talk to men who, who feel like, you know, you don't have that mission in your church that is trying to guide, you know, husbands and, and fathers and just men in general. Uh, if you don't have that, start it. Uh, Matt and I go on a fishing trip every year that was started by seven guys in the church. And it has ballooned up to over 60. So you can see there was a real desire for it. We go, we go down to Broken Bow. We go fly fishing for a couple of days. It's not real programmatic. It's basically like you have a couple of things here and there that we do as a, as a group. But overall, it's just guys being shoulder to shoulder, talking about things. People end up breaking up into small groups, going to do different stuff. They hike, they bike, they go fishing, they golf. I've, I mean, there's all sorts of things. But it was all started by just a few guys in the church deciding they wanted to get together and go on a fishing trip. And sometimes it's like, sometimes you have to be the pebble in the shoe of the church. Okay. Be willing to go ahead and put yourself out there. Find that small group of guys that you know you can bond with. And then don't be afraid to say, I'm going to go do this. And then see where it grows. Because like I said, I mean, Aaron, Michael, Russell, seven guys started that started that fishing trip and we had over 60 people at yeah, that, at that need, trip this year. We needed like four houses. And um, that's mm-hmm. kind of where our friendship really yep. started to grow was, was there. And I think if your mindset is, I want more, I want this fellowship, I want this unity. Yeah. Then just go, go do it because it's there. People like guys want that. And I, for the same reason, I think this is probably a successful episode every week is because guys are seeking that and they're, they're longing for that. And I think, like, great point. We can wait for the church all day long, but if we don't do it. But in our, in our situation, the church has now responded and yep. they started an actual men's ministry with an actual men's pastor. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, there are certainly some important things there, but yeah, that's, that's a good discussion in terms of what the church looks like. Um, Matt, could you uh, read nine through 12? There's some good stuff here. Yeah. This is probably my favorite part of, of chapter eight and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. Or sorry, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. 
So a few things. Obviously, at the end there, they understood the words that were declared to them. So the preacher didn't do a TED Talk. Also, they didn't, you know, talk in such a highfalutin way that nobody could understand. But a couple of things here. At the very beginning, you have Nehemiah the governor and you have Ezra the priest and scribe. So that's the importance of a politician working hand-in-hand with a man of God type of thing. Those don't necessarily have to be the, the same man, but those are the people that need to be hand-in-hand. Imagine how different the United States of America would look in 2023 if our uh, political class and our religious class or our Christian class were the same or were working hand-in-hand. And then another thing is these people, they wept when they heard the law. Um, and just how often do we do that as Christians? I mean, we, we believe this stuff, but the, the law doesn't bring us to tears. Like, you know, again, we want somebody to make us feel good whenever we make a mistake. It's like when a three-year-old, they do something bad and then they start crying and then you start consoling them. It's like, you little jerk, you're the one that did the bad thing to begin with. I'm not going to console you on top of that. Um, but yeah, th- there's just a lot there. So y'all go ahead and flow on that. The gospel was preached right here. The gospel was preached. Like, I, like. Yes, looking at the law, it should cut you. It should it should reflect your sin. It should bring you to your knees. Acts says that Peter's words cut to the heart because the the word is is the sword, and it's it's no it's no mistake that the word is described as a sword because it should cut to your heart. It should make you repent. And they they, they were weeping because they knew they were in sin. They knew that they stood before a just and holy God and they were in sin. They were outside of the law. And, and then the, so what moment was you are still in God's family. You are in salvation because God said it to be so like you, you don't have to, it doesn't end with you weeping. It doesn't end with you being sorrowful because God, God is our salvation. The Lord is our salvation. And I like to miss that the gospel is being preached right here is something that we can't miss because there it is right in front of us. I think that's the point of the celebration was that God's covenant was still the same that day that it was in the beginning when he gave it to Abraham. Yeah. And it's just like, that's a beautiful thing. It's like, all right, we're weeping because we can see what we've done. We know why we were in exile. We know why Jerusalem was destroyed. And it was because of us. Just like Kyle said, it's because of the three-year-old did the wrong thing. And God didn't just sit there and kiss on their boo-boo. No, they saw it. <laughs> and he was like, but my covenant's still the same. Yeah. Go celebrate. I'm the Be same happy. today. It's just like, yeah, I'm the same so, today yeah. as I am tomorrow and the next day. Yeah. You know? And so that's where it just comes down to is like, God's the same no matter what we, what we say. And we need to rest in the fact of his, his righteousness. I think what's remarkable here is not only how God is the same, but also how human beings are also the same. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, have, you have these people crying because they're, they're suddenly realizing, oh my gosh, the way that we've been doing things is not how we're supposed to be doing things. Uh, we've fallen really short of how of God's standard and how we're supposed to live. We've fallen short of that. And then you find that joy and you go, you know, I'm going to quote Thomas Edison. I have not failed. I have found 10,000 ways that haven't worked. We try things all the time to just avoid what God says. We try. It's like, well, let me do this on my own. Let me, we don't take things to God first. We decide, let me do this. You know, I'm not going to pray first. Uh, And, and, to this end, remember P- Acts 2, 
when Peter's talking to this, he's talking to new Christians in there. It's, it's for those who need to read it, it's Acts 2, 37 to 39. Same things going on. All these people gathered in front of Peter and he's telling them, you've fallen short, but it's okay. Like God's got a promise. God, ha- it's an eternal promise. He's the same. So it's essentially, it's like you've wandered from the standard. You are not doing what he wants, but you have a way to get back. And that's an important context in all of this. Oh, for sure. There is a way. It's not a you sinned, but it's okay. Nope. It is if you are in Christ, the, the, the old hymn before the throne of God, when it talks about my name is written on his hand, my name is written on his heart. Like the God who is just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And if you are in Christ, it's okay. Uh, that what a powerful story, and again, that's something that we should constantly remind ourselves of, of the that gospel truth. I have I have a question here for the group. This, this day is holy. Is this another example of the Lord's day, the day that we should go to church, we should participate in worship? Is this is this happening on Friday? Because the Sabbath would be Saturday. Yeah, so so I'm asking, is this like do you guys do you guys read that this could be the holy day? Like this is this is the Sabbath that they are that they are worshiping in, or am I reading too much into that? I would need to look into the context because the next day they go and create booths. So I don't know. Oh, because yeah, because yeah. I realize they're in the, the feast of, of booths. Yeah. Um, I I guess my point is there is a day that the Lord has declared for worship. And yep. this, this day is holy because it's what I've called you. It's the day I've called you to worship me. And, man. Psalm, Psalm 110.3, your people will be willing in the day of your power. Honestly, you probably are onto something as I'm kind of listening to you. I think, yeah, uh, this, is, this is the Lord's day. And you have a people who are very willing and able and with, have come with broken and contrite hearts. and want to make a change. And I think there's, there's something to that. Yeah. I think we're obviously called to be in the world. We don't get to retreat. We don't get to go into a monastery and just say, okay, I'm going to read the word and that's it. I will never sin. I can be holy if I separate myself from the world. Like if you're reading that in the scripture, like I think you've got it all wrong. We are very Strictly told, go proclaim the gospel to the world. But Stephen Lawson says it this way. He says, we are to be a boat in the water, but not let the water into our boat. So yes, we are to go into the world. And I think that's, I think that the, the church model of coming back for the holy day is, all right, we're redocking. But then as soon as, I mean, we're going, we're equipping to go back out into the water, into the world. To, proc- to proclaim the gospel and your truth and to call more people to salvation. And I, I can't help but think right there where they say, send portions to anyone who has nothing. That is proclaiming the gospel. Like those people don't have, they don't have salvation. Take it to them because they don't have it. I, like, again, the gospel is literally everywhere. And man, what a cool, what a cool way to, to read the gospel in Nehemiah. 
One, so one thing I'm I'm curious about from y'all's perspective, because in verses one through twelve, I mean, we spent the first half hour talking about essentially church and how church is done and those types of things. I think this warrants at least a short discussion on uh, online church, because there are a lot of folks that um, you know they're doing the Lecrae church close thing, like oh I don't need church, I'm I'm gonna do me and I'm gonna do all that, and you know a lot of people kind of go that route, and I think that's kind of easy to point out and be like, no, you're completely out of community, and like that's not something you should be doing. But then it does bring up a discussion about church online. Like, is that church? Is that actually a community when you have churches that are uh, creating, not AI churches, but uh, churches that are like in the uh, meta, like meta churches and things like that, where it's not even you in the room. It's your, 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 your avatar. <laughs> your, it's I your, swear I saw a Minotaur in one of those. But it's like, it's, it's your Got my avatar. Instagram filter on my picture. Yeah. Is there a woman Atar? And so no. that's, uh, yeah, you have to be, you have one to be Atar. equal here. But yeah. like, that, that's something that I've, I've always kind of struggled with because, you know, I remember when I was um, living in New York for a period, like I did church online and that's how I stayed sort of connected to, to my home church, but I wasn't known by the online church, like, because like, there's always a screen between you and the person. Uh, and you know, we're all really good at wearing masks and putting up facades anyway. And so I'm wondering like, if this is the day that the Lord has made and everything that we see modeled in scripture is of people coming together, that there, there's a line there because also air conditioning is not described here. Uh, amplification and microphones are not described in the Bible. And that's where, you know, that's where I challenge people that have like a church of Christ background. Cause they're like, we're not going to do anything in a worship service that isn't described in the Bible. It's like, all right, we'll turn all these lights out because like that certainly was not d- described. But I, I just, I really struggle with, with online church. Cause I get the practicality of it for people. I get the interesting thing. Like, Hey, you don't live in this community, but you want to hear this particular preacher's uh, uh, sermon. And so you can do it that way. I don't know. I just, I have a lot of mixed feelings on it. It's a, it's a necessary evil sometimes. I say about online church is like if my kids, I got two kids at home sick, maybe I'm sick. We'll watch online church. Um, but I've seen it used and, uh, gotten into some arguments with friends about it. But a lot of my friends who are, um, what do you want to call it? Oh, not extrovert, introverted. They're like, well, online church is great for me because I'm introverted. I don't want to be around people. Mm. Like that's the point of church point of church is to get around your community and worship God as a community. And you can't use your introvertedness to not follow what the Bible teaches. And the Bible wants us to get together and, and commune with each other and worship God together. So there's, there's some excuses used for online church that people use. And it's really this whole wimpy, you know, I just don't want to feel like going and stuff like that. Like it's being used for that. And it's, it's not good. But some people are using it for good. So your grandma's sick and she doesn't want to get COVID. Right. So I think everybody's with you on the, on the sick thing. I I wonder if it's like, if it wasn't even a possibility, would people like just deal with it and not, not come to church sick necessarily, but like, since it is an option, people are abusing it because they're using that. But if it's not an option, it wouldn't be there to abuse. I I look at online church as a supplement. It's not a replacement. So I have daughters, people get sick. Okay, we can talk about the sickness thing, but the the benefit of an online church is your dis- you can display to your children that church is still a priority. Like, okay, yeah, we can't be there physically. Like, we're on a vacation. We're gone on a Sunday. We're going to actually attend church online. You need to see that this is a priority for our family. However, we need to be there. 
I think when you start thinking about how important is a church and, and gathering with fellow believers, think about the people right now, like think about the early Christians who had to gather in secret, they had to go to these homes, they had to find a community and they were putting a lot at risk. And then you, st- you look at things like uh, Christians in Africa and in China right now, two very, very fast growing Christian populations. They're still trying to meet. It's illegal. They can't do that. But yet they're still trying to find that community. And I look at it and go, shame on us that we think that there's these people who are believing and are craving that community and that it becomes so easy for us. Who are willing to die. They're willing to die. And yet we sit over here and go, well, you know what? Uh, I still I had a, too late. Last I had night. a late night, yeah. you know, uh, you know. I, I, or I got back into town late or whatever it might be. Uh, I'm not feeling it this morning, you know. <laughs> That's the one right there. I'm yeah. not feeling I'm it this I'm not morning. feeling it this morning. So <laughs> I've decided that, you know what, it's okay for me just to go ahead and do this. I don't, I don't really want to do, I'm just going to go online church. And just like anything else that's probably not good for you, it gets easier and easier and easier to make excuses as to why that should be the accepted. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like online church isn't inherently bad in itself, but just like anything else, if that becomes our default, because the, I mean, the word of God is pretty explicit. The gathering of the saints is a direct call, the gathering. And if you're sick, okay, that makes sense. But I would even argue if a church, if a church is functioning in a healthy way, even those that are sick are preached to in a different way. Because as a pastor, I know you, I'm going to come check on you. And I'm going to minister to you in your sickness. But then if you also, the other side of that, or another side of that, maybe not the other side, but like if we're looking at how God ordained and ordered the world, Christ is the head of the church. and then there are overseers and pastors who are head of local bodies. As husbands and fathers, we have been ordained as the head of our family church. And if we don't make it a priority to lead our family in worship throughout the week, and I could see how you could easily get to, well, let's just, let's just go to, let's pass it off to somebody. Let's go to online church. Right. I think that's important. And that really gets into oh, one of the last things I want to talk about with Nehemiah 8, and that's verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So the first 12 verses we're talking about, you know, basically they're doing these marathon worship services. So they're, they're worshiping for two to three hours, and then they're having the word read to them for two or three hours. They're standing in reverence. They're, I don't know, they're taking notes, or if, they, you know, this is more of a, a verbal culture, so are they memorizing stuff as it's being said? But that's going on. And then in addition to that, the heads of the households, the fathers, are going to get extra study of the Word of God. Mm. <laughs> and, I mean, I literally, in my notes, so I've got, yeah. I, I love this from, from Crossway. It's, these, uh, it's the Bible journals, and so the Scripture's on the left side in the ESV, and then it's just open on the right. And I write, this is the way. This is the way. Because we just talked about how people do things out of convenience. So, you know, you're a lake person or you like traveling to go to sports games or you like, you know, you're, you're traveling for work or all that. And then you catch, yeah, you might catch two of the Sundays a month or something like that. So 
in addition to the the call to when you're there to be there, when you're in town to be there, or even if you're out of town to still be part of the body somehow, the men are getting extra direction. Why? Why would it be necessary and good for the heads of the households to learn more things and to have a right ordering of themselves to the Holy Scriptures, to the words of God? Could it be that they were ordained or chosen to be the heads of their households to catechize their their wives to lead to be the heads of their wives and to catechize their children is that possible but we live in this era now where sunday is enough as long as it's convenient oh yeah i know you're out of town this week and i know you've been at the lake the last like 10 weekends and you know it's just that it's just that season oh we're in this busy season we're in this you said you're a cpa oh it's tax season so i'm just going <laughs> to ignore being a christian because numbers and spreadsheets or whatever time. and so but like just just think about that think about the modeling that's happening here because we don't go to a five to six hour worship service a week we go to a 60 to 90 minute worship service Maybe. a week and then for a lot of guys that is good enough I've done it. I've gotten everybody out of the door. You know, we fought on the way to church, but we smiled on the way in. So we're, we're good to go. But that right there, like, just think about the hours that these men are putting in to train themselves so that they can train others. And, and Kyle is saying this, you're saying this to us and to yourself. And I know that about you because yeah. I just don't, I don't want somebody to listen to this and go, oh gosh, they're really railing. This is just as oh, we're railing ourselves. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this, too. Is, this is convicting yeah. for us too. And then that's that's what the word does. Like when we when we are like pull out these truths, these are truths that we want to internalize as well. And as fathers and husbands, like it's very convicting for me to see this and go, oh man, am I a second day guy? Am I a second day father, or am I just a Sunday guy? If I'm even a Sunday guy, and I, I may have just come up with a slogan. Um, I was going to say, you're here on, you're here on Saturday. I'm a, I'm a, like, but, but we should be striving to be that. We should be striving to be the head. And not, I mean, we could talk for hours on what, what it means to be the head of a family. But really, it's to lead your family toward God and toward Christ if we wanted to break it down basically. So we should be leading in worship and man, that is convicting. I think that's one thing that I kind of, uh, just kind of like just hit me about three or four years ago after we started going to this church and I was just, you know, I was that Sunday guy. I was like, all right, if we lead them to church, great. If we don't, oh, well, we'll move on. And finally we were just like, I was going to church more. I was diving into the Bible more. And then I read a book by Vody Bauckham called Family Shepherds, probably my favorite book of all time. And it just talks about how a father needs to lead his family. And I never had that. You know, my, my dad let us, you know, we went to church every once in a while, but, you know, I wasn't leading my family. I didn't have the biblical view of what a husband should be like, or what a father should be like. Uh, my dad did his best to show that, but we never read it together. We never looked at it and studied it together. And reading that just totally changed everything. It's like God calls us to disciple the nations. Man, where's the best place to start? At home. You have children right there that you can disciple. 100%. And you can disciple them and they can go and disciple others while you're discipling others. And it's just, it's, a, it's, it's something I feel like the mainstream church nowadays is getting away from. I mean, like we're not seeing man-friendly churches like we just talked about. I remember seeing a, an ad for a Father's Day service where the, 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 the catch was an abbreviated service. 
I'm yeah. like, you're going to tell me about yeah, that. I'm like, you're going to abbreviate a service on Father's Day? Like, this is the day where you can call men to leadership, call men to leadership in their homes, and you want to abbreviate it to get them to show up so you how, can count them. How, but isn't that so interesting? Because the Mother's Day service is where we just slobber all over these women and tell them how great they are and how hard their job is and all those types of things. I see a Bill Burr joke coming up in the background, so I'll keep talking. <laughs> but but then on Father's Day, it's like it's it's somewhere between. If you come here, we're just going to rip you up and down for not being good enough, yeah. or we're going to have such low expectations for you that, yeah, we're going to do a half seas yeah, service like, today. Hey, so you, you can showed get, up. I would right, rather get ripped apart on Sunday mor- morning on Father's Day yeah. than if, to get a half seas service. If anybody should get ripped apart in the family, it should be the father. Yeah. Agreed. Like we're I, the leaders. Like we're the leaders. We're yeah. called to lead. And I think we do men a disservice. And by we, I mean the church by giving them an out. And by telling them, hey, you showed up. That's awesome. Like, you can't just show up. You got to show up. Soft bigotry of low expectations. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The way I look at it is you still, I mean, again, shame on us for, I mean, how convenient church is for all of us. There's no scarcity, not for us. I mean, we can go whenever we want. We really can. I can get on YouTube and watch a sermon. I can, you know, I can watch last week's sermon over and over again. It's so scarce. We don't appreciate it. We are not thankful for it. When my father passed away in March, okay, and I remember telling this to, I, I remember talking to some of the guys in our Bible study, and my father had passed away on a Monday. We have Wednesday morning Bible studies. I'm spending all Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, planning funeral, going through things. It's a hard time. I was supposed to lead the Bible study that week. I was in no frame of mind to do so. Somebody asked to take it and he goes, okay, well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I said, no, I'll be there tomorrow. Because if there was ever a time that I need to be somewhere, it's then it's when I'm low, I'm going to the lake house. If if, if I have a lake house and I'm going to the lake every weekend, why would I not go to church on Sunday? Say, Hey, thanks God. I really like this lake house. This is pretty great. Thank you for this blessing. All of these things that we have decided we can put in front of God and put in front of church that we don't need. We don't need to be there every week to either thank him or ask him for help. I go through busy seasons every fall, every spring as a CPA. I'm there on Sundays. You yeah. better believe it. I don't care how much work I got. I was like, that's where my work starts. Work starts my, uh, on Sunday morning. You just quoted Kanye West. Amen, uh, brother. <laughs> The strong start on Sunday, but I, like the, the reason good solid worship is so important. I'm going to quote a Shane and Shane song, Psalm 42 from what? what? Can, you, can you actually I said, so no, j- just gonna, for the record, I quoted yay and you're quoting Shane and Shane. So or, he's, he's more holy. It's from, it's, it's you, from you the, have to rap it. You have to sing it. It's from, not, you don't want me to sing it. Believe Do me. It. Uh, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs released in 2021. It's one of my favorite albums, Psalm 42. It, it's kind of a play on Come Thou Fount, but it is streams of trouble never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And it, it is in those dark moments. And every single one of us here could probably talk about those dark moments. It is in those dark moments that God will reach, reach down if we're, if we're willing to continue excuse me, to continually come to worship him and pursue him and pursue him is where we really gain so much 
And sometimes I think we fall into this trap of I'm going to, I'm going to become, I'm going to come in on myself. I'm going to just, it's just me and my wife, or it's just me and my whoever. And we're just going to brace and try to get through it. But God says, no, this is the time I want you to call on me. So that, that song is I a think, really powerful song. Go ahead, Ryan. Winkler brings up a great point. I won't call you by your last name because I just wanted to <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you're, are you talking about him or the Fonz. Like, yeah, you're you're about about? Okay. Fo- He's way cooler, cooler than the Fonz. <laughs> That's not true. No, um, <laughs> but you, you bring up a very good point. Like church isn't just about the sermon. Like we can listen to sermons all day long. Church is about the community, the community of worshiping God and, and how it fills the soul. Like you were in your times of trouble. Who did you go to? You went to God. You didn't go to yourself. You know, and that's, I think, the beautiful thing about church. It's not just the sermon that I'm going to listen to on Sunday in my living room. No, it's a community of worship, and that's what should get us out there to show up on Sundays. Yeah. It requires work. One, another good Winkler point. I guess we are just going to call you by that's your fine. last name. <laughs> that's fine. Um, when you lose your father, but then you still uphold the importance and value of people getting together to open up the Word of God, what you were doing is you're making a resilience deposit. And so I talk constantly about cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And I also talk to people about you daily have to make decisions, sometimes hourly, to be resilient spiritually, mentally, or physically because you're making deposits in an account that you will need to take a withdrawal from at some point. And so the easiest way to look at this is physically. If every morning you wake up and you know that you should exercise, but you snooze four times or you roll out of bed and oh, you're just a little bit sore and I'm just going to listen to my body and not do anything today. (laughs) Um, uh, And one of those things, like what you're doing is you're making deposits in an account, but it's the weakness account. Mm. It's the, there are other words for that account, but it's like your, your current, yes. And they will add up. And then when you need resilience, you will not have the funds available. And so like, you know, for, for someone like me, you know, I was just, I was just on an interview the other day, like yesterday, and I've been on the road this week. I'm getting ready for surgery. I'm doing all these different things, right? So, oh, look at me. This is a great week for me to be like, you know, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to, I'm not going to expend, you know, unneeded energy. And I'm not just, you know, I, I'm just going to take it easy. But, uh, you know, I did a, I've just done crazy hard workouts all week because it's what discipline and resilience requires of me because I don't know when I'm going to need these physical resilience, uh, you know, tokens or something like that. But I want there to be as many of them there as possible mentally as well. Every time I sit in my garage and stare at my uh, weightlifting shoes before I put them on, I'm having to mentally make a decision to not just put them back on the shelf and roll a curl back up in bed and go to sleep. It's, I don't want to do this. No one else is doing this. No one else is awake right now, but I am okay. Put the shoes on. Let's time. It's time to get after it. But that, that's a, a big deal for the men as well, that if you're the men in your life, guess what? You're not just putting deposits in those bank accounts for you. You're putting deposits in that account for everybody else that depends on you as well. That's what I was going to say. What a powerful message to preach to your wife and to your two girls of this sucks, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to go worship. I'm still going to get into the word. I'm still going to pursue the holy God who sent his son to die for me on the cross. Like what a powerful message to preach. So kudos to you. And I know you'll say it's all God and I get that, <laughs> but like that is something that should be celebrated for, for your faithfulness and your steadfastness in that, in that situation. So that's, that's amazing. And those little things are what kids remember. 
like, have you, I don't know if y'all have had this, these discussions with your family, but like, you know, I've had discussions with my dad before where I'll, I'll mention something that he said and he's like, son, I don't even remember saying that. I was like, I know you don't, but you did. And here I am 30 years later and this is how it's affecting my life. And that could be positive or negative or it's sure. very rarely neutral. And so when you think about what your kids saw and what you modeled for them in a big way after your father passes away, their granddad, but then also in the small ways where again, we're, we're bringing up the lake trip. So you're at the lake, it's Sunday morning. And as opposed to, you know, getting a late start and getting your breakfast going, dad's got the laptop open and everybody, it's not a surprise. Everybody knows, Hey, we're, we're going to church tomorrow morning, even though we're at the lake. And then as soon as service is over, we're going to, we're going to go get on the boat and we're going to enjoy our, our day. And then we're going to, we're going to come back home or whatever the situation is. It's constantly making those deposits and making those, those, um, those correct decisions as you're catechizing and leading your family or as shepherding. And in to Ryan, to your point earlier, that book family shepherds by Vody Bauckham, it is a must have. It's a must read for anyone that has children. It, it is. is on our 100 books. Every modern Christian man, uh, Christian men should read list. Uh, it's one of two Vody Bauckham books on that list. The other one is fault lines, but absolutely fantastic book. I found out about that book from you because you got it for me. And you know, that was, that was a gift very early on in our friendship and it's an absolutely invaluable tool, but guys, there's a, there's a lot more that could be said there about Nehemiah eight, but we're going to go ahead and leave it there for now, but come back next Sunday where we're going to dig into Nehemiah nine. So make sure that you read Nehemiah nine before we get here next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at undaunted life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And as always, the only link we've got is the donation link guys. Everything we do costs money. I know it's weird to talk about money in the context of ministry and all those different things, but every single thing we do costs money. And if we don't have it, we're not going to be able to produce the content that we produce. So if this is of value to you, we want to give you the opportunity to have some buy-in, some literal buy-in to the content that we are creating. Help us to be able to equip men around the globe. Hop on board. We have people giving anything from five bucks a month all the way up to 500 bucks a month just because they want to support exactly what's going on here. So guys, please consider hopping on board and doing that with us. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah